0: Welcome to the Canon Law Society of America podcast, where Catholic canon lawyers share their stories, their knowledge, and their love for the law. Now, here's your host with this episode's guest canonist.
1: Hello, and welcome to this week's podcast. I'm Donna Miller, your host for this episode. We're very pleased to welcome this week our 2002 recipient of the World of Law Award, Sister Rose McDermott. Sister Rose has served in many capacities as a canonist and currently serves as the diocesan delegate for religious and institutes for consecrated life in the Diocese of Trenton, New Jersey. Take a moment to welcome Sister Rose McDermott. Welcome, Sister Rose, we're glad you're with us.
0: Thank you and
1: thank you for inviting me. Oh, you're so welcome. So Sister Rose, you have a very storied career. You won the School of Law Award in 2002 Tell us a little bit about why you went to study canon law. I think at that point it had been 25 years. Why did you go study canon law 25 years before uh, that year?
0: Well, Donna, <laughs> to begin, I, was in, as, uh, I uh, became a Sister St. Joseph, actually, on my, I shouldn't say on my 18th birthday. I entered the congregation on my 18th birthday, and I became a happy English major. In fact... Uh, I was uh, asked to go to um, Notre Dame, the University of Notre Dame out in Indiana, and I had planned as an English major, I was going to write my first novel and a book of poetry. Well, you know uh, religious uh, take a vow of obedience, so my major superior had other designs for me, and I was redirected away from uh, English literature towards a degree in religious studies, and then to a further degree in canon law at Catholic University. So it was a rather labyrinthian journey for a young woman religious, but again, vowed to obedience. Uh, However, I ever remain faithful for that background in literature because I believe firmly that literature interprets life, and it has served me well in understanding the human condition throughout my profession as a canonist. So that's
1: that's my background. So, did you have a choice? That's what I like to ask religious. <laughs> had you expressed interest in law? Is that why one of your superiors saw perhaps that you had that uh, potential?
0: Well, actually, not because when the superior general sent for me and she told me what I was going to study, the only thing I could conjure up in my mind was before I took vows they explained to us canonically what poverty, chastity, and obedience meant. That was my that was my <laughs> my knowledge of canon law. So I said to her quite humbly, uh, "What is that discipline, or what is that study?" And she said to me, I'm not sure, but you go find out. (laughs) Because in those days, priests were encouraging major superiors and women religious to get their sisters involved in further education, particularly in theology and canon law. So there I went off to Catholic U, not quite sure what I really was going to study. Well, and at that time, it
1: was pre-1983 code, for those who are familiar with the history of the, the law of the church. So you began studying and got both your JCL and JCD before the 83 code came out. So when that happened, was there a sort of a learning curve then that you had to reacquaint yourself?
0: Actually, Donna, it would be an understatement to say that studying canon law from 1979, through ni- from 1975, when I began, through 1975. 1979 when I completed, it, it was quite a challenge because the conclusion of uh, the Vatican Council II, uh, we know that that ended in 65, uh, the revision of the 1917 code was a work in progress. In the School of Canon Law, we students had the 17 code in our hands and professors shared the contents of the reserve schemata uh, they were the drafts that came from Rome uh, to the bishops' conference. And the bishops' conference, of course, sent them over to the School of Canon Law for these experts to review review them. So uh, at least we had that. And they were sharing with us what these drafts were and what might be what the uh, 1980s code would look like. We had no clues as to what we would be ex- what would be expected of us in the oral comprehensives, you know, when we were ready to get our licentiate. Our notes were handwritten. Our research papers were completed, by the way, on typewriters. And that was uh, another challenge because uh, I don't know if you ever used a uh, typewriter. You're a lot younger than I am. But you had to judge your space and calculate it at the bottom for footnotes, and if the footnotes didn't fit, you type the page all over again until it did fit. <laughs> um, anyhow, that was our experience in the School of Canon Law. By the way, too, at that time, uh, the licentiate was only two years. It was when I was a professor that it was increased to three years, I think because a lot of um, students did not have a Latin background at that time. Okay.
1: So then when you finished your studies in 79, you then had some assignments within the diocese, is that correct?
0: Yes. Um, What what happened was when I was still a student, we were encouraged greatly by the professors to uh, become a member, you know, of the uh, Canon Law Society. And uh, I did that. I did that in 1977. It was my second year down at Catholic U., and uh, I did uh, go, we were encouraged to go to the convention, which I did. When I arrived at the convention, it was very interesting because uh, women religious were few and far between among the priests and the male civil lawyers. There weren't even too many male civil lawyers. It was predominantly a clerical you know, meeting and so on. However, I have to say that the men in the society welcomed us and treated us with the deepest respect. We always felt supported by our brothers in the society. And this was in more contrast, as you know, uh, from uh, the experience of women in other professions. Uh, even in 1980, I was elected to the Board of Governors, and that was uh, something unusual for a woman to be elected to the Board of Governors. And it led me to a better understanding of the society and the responsibilities of the Board of Governors. Uh, we planned for future conventions. We addressed the questions and suggestions of the members, uh, selected the recipients of the annual Roll of Honor Award, and we approved the financial budget. So it gave me quite an, an insight into the workings of the society, which I, I deeply appreciated. From your earliest years, also
1: you—it's not a surprise to say that you concentrated, or you were an expert in concentrated life do you see those early years as having different focus? What, what were the issues in, the let's say, the 80s with regard to consecrated life compared to today?
0: Well, uh, actually, um, I, as I mentioned to you, I completed the licentiate in two years, <clears throat> and I was very, very happy to return home to the Archdiocese of Philadelphia with my licentiate. When I had my meeting with our Superior General, she uh, wanted me to go back and to procure the doctorate. So it wasn't of my own you know, choice that, that I went back uh, because she did explain to me that a lot of priests that were counseling her had told her again that this would be an, very important. All right, so back I went, and uh, I did not have a clue as to how I would employ my canonical knowledge. I did know she expected me to come home and help with the revision of our proper law because, as of course, as religious proper laws all had to be revised in keeping with what would eventually come out as the 1983 of law. <clears throat> it was funny to be in class because uh, my first two years, the priest kept looking at me kind of quizzical, wondering why I was there, and I apologetically told them I was sent because I had to help writing or revising our constitutions. However, I would say by my last year, uh, three or four of the priests came to me and said they they didn't think that their diocesan bishops would have any problem uh, if they would permit me to serve in the uh, diocesan tribunals. So at least I had that assurance that perhaps I could help in the marriage tribunals. When I went home, my Superior General still had another idea, and uh, she, because we belonged in the Archdiocese of Philadelphia, our General late was there, she presented me to Cardinal John Kroll for service in the Archdiocese. Cardinal Kroll accepted this great gift <laughs> and appointed me assistant uh, to the Vicar for Religious. Now, uh, I was fortunate I worked with a very fine uh, priest, Monsignor Joseph Galanti. Monsignor um, later became Bishop of Camden. He was recently deceased and we uh, remained good friends. I learned a great deal of experience um, about consecrated life because in the Archdiocese of Philadelphia, we had over 3,000 religious at that time. We had several generalates and provincialates of apostolic religious, of men and women religious. We had six monasteries of contemplative nuns. And Cardinal Kroll was also very generous with our service because we accepted calls uh, and work from other dioceses. Now uh, the 17 code was still operative. Don't forget I completed my degree in 79, so from four years, from 79 to 83, Uh, Monsignor Galanti and I worked with the 1917 code. Um, Experts were applying the principle of subsidiarity, but still a lot of things had to go to Rome under the 17 code. So our names became quite familiar over there, and eventually uh, they tapped Cardinal Kroll from Monsignor Galanti's service in the Roman congregation, in the congregation then for religious, as it was called. And eventually I was appointed a consultant. So that's how I became a consultant to the um, congregation uh, for religious. That's also
1: fascinating. And in a way it does let You know, go to the principle of it's not what you know, but who you know. But I'm sure it was what you knew that that also got you where you were.
0: (laughs) But it it
1: seems like we all had those kinds of things. I mean, all of us, I think, in canon law, who we know can get us into different areas or different places. Mm -hmm. Because then you went on to become a professor, a teacher of canon law. Tell us a little bit about your experience as a uh, teaching canon law.
0: Well, um, eventually, I guess my experience came to the attention of uh, the professors down in my alma mater. And uh, dear Father Jim Provost, another one who has gone before us, a tremendous person, uh, he invited me uh, to teach in, in the school. Now, of course, this was a humbling invitation because here I would be alongside the scholars who once taught me. Uh, I had to present again as a woman religious the a request to my superior general. She met with the council, and uh, many of them knew me, they knew how I enjoyed teaching. Don't forget I had taught grade school, high school, college, and now here I go uh, to the, uh, the then Department of Canon Law. So they permitted me to accept the position of professor at Catholic University. And actually, I was delighted to teach what I had learned, not only um, in in law, but also through experience, because you know well, Donna, that it's not just what you know in the book, it's how you apply that book to the human condition. So that's so important. So hopefully the students that I taught, and some of them are bishops today, in fact, one is an archbishop of Philadelphia, uh, learned from my teaching and experience. I also taught sacramental law, Catholic U. I taught a course in lay ministry. And what was particularly interesting uh, in the theological college, I taught the seminarians the introductory course to canon law. So it was a good experience and an overall look at the uh, the code.
1: You've also taught at several other seminaries, if I'm not mistaken. Is that true?
0: Yes, I did. I taught at St. Charles. Seminary in Philadelphia. I taught at Northampton Seminary for the Vincentian Fathers. Uh, I taught at Boston College. And um, I was asked to teach at Trinity College. Of course, that's not a lot of seminary, but also mm-hmm. the South College in Philadelphia. So I've been around the bush, <laughs> as it were. <laughs> and, and, and in
1: addition to teaching, you've done your own writing. So you've, I know that you wrote commentaries for both the 1985, some people call it the Red Commentary, and then the
0: Green Commentary the green. of 2000. Yeah. So you, you
1: helped write some of those commentaries,
0: correct? Yes, yeah. yes. And then I did a text on consecrated life uh, that's under the catalog. It probably needs revision at this juncture. And uh, I did uh, Roman Replies. I always tried to get involved in that. That was a great fun. And also... Um, uh, I did some articles for the jurists for Studia Canonica and also for uh, the, um, I'm trying to get it up fast, for the um, religious uh, commentary in Rome. Yeah.
1: Do you think that there are more religious institutes sending members to study canon law now that your superior recognized the need and sent you to study?
0: Uh, actually, uh, you know, as I think about, it, first of all, sadly, we're having few religious vocations. And of course, that affects, uh, you know, the religious coming in. The other thing, and even when I think of my own um, religious congregation, we we're, were primarily a congregation of education. That's why our sisters went on in many areas, not just canon law, theology, you know, social services, and Um, all kinds of education that teach youngsters and also high school and and, uh, at the college level. But since we're not getting the vocations and then people coming in today have degrees and you have to be cognizant of that and send them into different areas. So that's a problem in religious life. I'm sure that Jesuits are dealing with this themselves. You know, when you come in at 18, you can be formed. When you come in at 35, it's a little more uh, challenging to uh, to reformulate. But, um, so I think about that. But what makes me uh, happy and I'm delighted that so many lay people uh, today have um, taken up the challenge of studying canon law. I know at Catholic University, even when I was there 20 years. So my last, I would say, five years, I was delighted to have lay women and men in the classes. Uh, their interests, uh, you know, they were so studious, and in fact, many of them today you know, are in different areas uh, teaching um, uh, canon law, or uh, some of them are in, in different uh, roles you know, in the chanceries. Of course, the United States. So that's wonderful. Do
1: you, you've been a teacher, so it seems students come in. Do you have any advice or any suggestions if there's someone perhaps who's mulling over, should I go study Canon Law? What would you say to someone who is either potentially wanting to study or who is right now in the midst of their studies? Any kinds uh-huh. of in, inside information? <laughs>
0: Surely. Well, uh, first of all, I I have to be delighted to say that after 20 years, you know, I don't know if you know, at Catholic University, we have tenure for life there. So I did have tenure and I could have stayed, but um, I started a little later than the priest, naturally, and uh, I just felt uh, Catholic U does not have the money that some universities that are heavily endowed uh, has. And I I felt very strongly that I wanted some new blood to come. I was fortunate that I taught a young sister uh, who uh, had a lot of uh, gifts. And um, I felt that uh, there was possibility of someone taking my place. So after 20 years, uh, it was such a beautiful privilege. I did um, leave the university. And, and came back. And right now, I'm in. You probably know the Diocese of Trenton. I work with Bishop O'Connell. Uh, Bishop had been the president of a Catholic university well for 12 years while I served there, and um, he welcomed me uh, wholeheartedly here. Uh, we don't have a great many religious, but I do assist in the uh, diaconate program, and I still have the joy of teaching those men that are, uh, in fact. We have men now preparing in June for ordination to the diaconate after five years of study. Uh, my advice, you, you, I want to answer your question. I just wanted to give you that little background and then my advice. Um, what I would say to the, uh, to the women and men religious, uh, diocesan priests and deacons and our lay women and men, that would be either assigned or invited to consider the discipline, uh, I would uh, encourage them and they have no idea where the exciting journey will lead them. I would uh, uh, suggest, though, that they focus on one area of the law, as I did, and become an expert in that, be it marriage, be it structures, be it temporal goods, you know, be it even consecrated life. and. Um, If they have a specialty, they'll find themselves going into other areas, as I did, because uh, many, many times in canon law, uh, one of the um, areas suggests that you have to be knowledgeable about another area. So uh, I would suggest they have a specialty. They stay with that specialty and become, uh, you know, highly educated in it and then see how it connects with other areas of the law. I think if they do that, uh, they will wind up serving many grateful people. Uh, I would encourage them to be compassionate. I go back to what I said in the beginning, we're dealing with the human condition in people and uh, bring their expertise and uh, always to recognize that very last canon that uh, the salvation of souls must be for us the supreme law of the church. Before
1: we kind of wind things down, I I wanted to uh, ask you to go back to 2002, that October night. You had been probably eight, nine months kind of keeping secrets from most people that you had been chosen for the Rule of Law Award. What do you remember about the banquet that night and when the opportunity came and they Father Kevin McKenna read the citation and and you were announced. Do you recall anything or was it a blur?
0: <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, it, you it's an overwhelming experience uh, because you're there with your friends. You're there. My sister was beside me. Um, it, it, it's just an overwhelming thing and such an honor. Uh, I do recall, though, how receptive the audience was. Um, how they clapped for me, and uh, there were tears in my eyes because when I looked out, I saw many of my own students who were so supportive of me, and and, and the men too, the men were so uh, very, very uh, grateful and again, as I went back, I, I never, never had an experience of being rejected as a woman in our um, profession, so that was a beautiful thing, yes. And then afterwards, of course, pictures and congratulatory, everybody came up. Uh, We have a beautiful society, and uh, I just wish more people could experience it, Donna. I, I do,
1: too, and I think one of the things that you mentioned earlier that I would like to highlight for members of our society is the potential when someone steps forward and writes an advisory opinion. Can you speak on what it means to write an advisory opinion, and is that something you would encourage Canada to do?
0: Oh, I most certainly would, because I know some of the experiences I have, and, and they are now. I, I uh, you know, certainly camouflage them, and nobody would ever know, uh, you know, when I write the uh, reply, that it is something I have dealt with. It certainly is camouflage, and that's very important. But I think we help one another, and that's the important thing, that beautiful cooperation. In fact, just yesterday... I went back to Roman Replies in my office here in the diocese because I recalled that one of the priests had done something in a, a, about a parish. And right away, I went back because I have all my volumes, you know, from Roman Replies. And they're priceless, actually, because they are the result of the human experience of our canonists. And how they took the time, uh, you know, to write the opinion. And I still do. I think I put one in this year. Something about the uh, uh, oh, the person who can be the financial officer in the uh, a religious institute. And I I I was just asked that about four weeks ago, or right before I wrote the opinion. And I thought this is important because Frank Morris and I actually had uh, consulted about this. He was a consulter and I was and the Congregation for Consecrated Life had asked us our opinion. So that was important and it was important to share it with others so that they too you know would would have that, especially those that were dealing with the religious and consecrated life.
1: So before we sign off, is there any final remarks you would make or uh, messages
0: to the members of the society? No, just that they belong to a wonderful, wonderful society, and uh, I am delighted uh, to be a member as uh, since 1977. Uh, so that that's that's one of my joys and privileges. And I thank you, Donna.
1: Oh, you're you're so welcome. And, and as our members will see, you're assisting now with the revision of of a handbook already that will hopefully come out soon. Uh, it was a good resource, kind of got a little dated, and now we are, with your assistance and those of others, updating that. So you continue to contribute to the society. We are very blessed that uh, you... We're given the Roll of Law Award in two thousand two. You probably have earned it again since then. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you so much. And um as I said, I we're we're very uh, thankful to you for all that you've done. I'm sure you are just a blessing to us as a society. So thank you so much for your willingness to share your stories, your memories with us today and we wish you all the best.
0: Thank you, darling. God bless you. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Sister Rub. Mm-hmm.